or the prophet either comes to curse you. And so here's the blessing. He comes to warn David. David, you're in danger. You need to flee. And what I respect of David is that he's listening to the voice of the Lord. The prophet spoke uh, when David committed sin with Bathsheba uh, and Nathan the prophet came. Uh, David was busted, but he listened to the voice of the Lord. And I think sometimes we, we neglect to, to see when God is speaking to us. Maybe it's through the scriptures. Maybe it's through a teaching. Maybe you're listening to a radio program. Maybe you're reading an article and God's speaking to you. God's word will not come back void. And sometimes God has to speak over and over and over. But we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Notice now in verse 5, now the prophet Gad had said to him, you need to get out of here. And I want you to see now as we get into verse 6, if you have a study Bible, the caption of my Bible says, Saul murders the priesthood or the priest. This is how evil Saul had become. I mean, he was anointed of God. He was called of God. This is what the people wanted, remember? And so they got exactly what they wanted. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Remember that? Don't be careful what you're asking for. King Hezekiah, remember him? He pleaded with God, give me 15, well, give me more life. And he got 15 more years. And that process is evil son was born. And so sometimes uh, we have to make sure what we're asking for. Notice now in verse 6, Saul in his rage, and when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in, in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand. I thought that was interesting. And all his servants standing about him. What was the spear in his hand for? It wasn't time for battle. But this was the obsession that Saul had. I've got my spear. I'm ready. If I see David, I'm going to let him have it. Uh, listen, Saul, David's not the enemy. David's not the enemy. And yet it was so easy for him. And, and we know that David would play the lyre. And that was a type of uh, instrument, a stringed instrument. And he would sing to King Saul. And it would kind of soothe him. But in the midst of soothing him and playing every now and then here comes the javelin and so David knew that Saul was after him and so here's a good indication uh, he's there resting but he's got a spear in his hand notice verse 7 then Saul said to his servants who stood about him here now you Benjamites uh, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields of vineyards and, and make you all captains of a thousand and captains of hundreds. In other words, Saul is saying here, you Benjamites, you priesthood, who is taking care of you, David or King Saul? Taking the glory here. You can see how he's setting this up. He's angry. Again, as we studied on Sunday, this is... Amazing to me how it's just coming together. Pride can set in. That's what we read in Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, Lucifer was a created being. He could have very well been, as we shared Sunday, uh, the, the third archangel. 
He was a cherub. He had a position. He had a, a, a place. Was he in charge according to Ezekiel 28? Of the music in heaven? I believe so. And so pride set in to Lucifer's heart. There in Isaiah chapter 14, and it took him out. Pride has already set in in Saul's heart. I need to address this. Be careful when pride sets in. We're Christians. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. Be careful when pride sets in. The, the, the Proverbs speak clearly. Pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before a fall. And I'll tell you, each and every one of us, including myself, uh, I can let pride in. You can let pride in. And before you know it, uh, you let God out and you let pride in. And this is what Saul was doing at this time. Notice now, we continue in verse 8. All of you have conspired against me, David. Uh, this is Saul speaking to the Benjamites. And there is no one who reveals to me that my son, speaking of Jonathan, has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, speaking of David. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie and wait as if it was this day. Can you see what's going on with Saul? Paranoia has set in. He's concerned about his own son. He's concerned that, that Jonathan and David have conspired. And they got this covenant, they're going to kill me. And, and so far from it. The Bible says that David loved Saul. And Jonathan saw the heir of his father. This is why he knew that David was to be the king of Israel. And so the Spirit of God spoke clearly, I believe, to Jonathan, help David. Look at verse 9. Then he answered, uh, Doag, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. And he said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, uh, to Ahimelech, uh, the son of Ahitub. And so there is always someone, and I put this down in my notes, as a Judas. Always someone uh, that's willing to undermine. Always somebody willing to betray. Now you have to understand who Doag, the Edomite, he was Saul's right-hand man. He was the chief over uh, the herdsmen. And so to Saul, this guy was his man. And he could trust him. Now Doag, at the same time, he wants points and he's going to do anything that Saul says. Notice verse 10, and he inquired of the Lord for him, give him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath and the Philistine. And so David has been found out. But it's going to be interesting as we see the, uh, the priest. Uh, the priest didn't know anything about this. They helped David because David uh, was a warrior of Israel. David was, uh, you know, united with Saul. He he. He was loyal to Saul. Everybody knew that. And I think when uh, the word started to get out more and more, they began to see the heart of Saul. Notice now, uh, he fed him in verse 10, and then he gave, them, uh, he gave David Goliath a, a sword. 
So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, uh, the son of Ahitub, and his father's house, and all his father's house, and, and the priests who were at, at Nob, and they all came to the king. They obeyed Saul because he was the king. Uh, but they had no concept that they're going to be killed. But this was the heart of Saul. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. Respect. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? Far from it, right? You, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword. Because this is what Doag had said. And he says, And have inquired of God for him. Listen, the priest were being accused. Listen, you've been, you've been praying for this guy. You've been sharing insight with this guy from God. I'm your king. Notice that he should rise against me. That was far from it. To lie in wait as it is to this day. And I have to share this with you. King Saul has Israel. He has an army. David has one sword. And he has 400 men, misfits. What is Saul so afraid of? Because pride has set in. An evil spirit has set in. Saul is be beginning to believe his own lies. Far from it. David loved his king. Remember, he, he, he's going to have many chances to kill him, but he won't. I will not touch God's anointed. In verse 14, so Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is, is as faithful as David? I like what uh, the priesthood said here. Who is the king's son-in-law? David married one of Saul's daughters, who goes uh, at your bidding and is honorable in your house. The priest is speaking the truth of David. David's loyal to you. David goes to battle for you. Well, that's one of the things that uh, just frustrated Saul. When he came, they came back from winning a battle, they would sing, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, and then the girls would continue singing and add to it, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so this was very, very frustrating. And so I want, I want you to see uh, the heart that uh, Saul has. But David was honorable, they say here. Look at verse 15. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And so here's the high priest laying it all down. There's nothing to hide. This is not the first time I had consulted God for David because he'd gone to battle before. Saul knew this. You accuse me, you are accusing my family, Ahimelech is saying. But I know nothing of this plot. Now, Put yourself in Saul's shoes. You've already gone to the other side. You're not going to listen to this king, uh, this high priest that is. You're convinced the devil has already put it in your heart. You want to kill David. 
But nothing can happen to David. Listen, nothing can happen to David and nothing can happen to you or to me unless God allows it. Unless God allows it. Look at verse 16. And the king said, you shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. This is how far the paranoia of Saul had gone. When you have power, when you have authority, and you're in charge of people, if, if it takes over your life, the pride does, and the authority and then the mindset, you can almost do whatever you want. Who is going to stop Saul? And this is exactly what is happening here. And you can easily see that the pride has set in, the paranoia has set in, fear has set in. Verse 17, then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priest. Saul, these are the priests of Israel. Saul, this is the high priest of Israel. This is how far that Saul had gone. Turn and kill the priest of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. Sad commentary, but that we see the group here, they saw the heir. Saul, you're wrong. This is your pride that's speaking. But even though somebody else or somebody refuses, there's always somebody else in line, and that's Doag. Look at verse 18. And the king said to Doag, he turns around, you turn and kill the priest. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck the priest, and he killed on that day 85 men who wore linen ephod. This was the priesthood. Doag was just as evil as Saul, that is. It's what we're seeing today. People that are killing their own people. Imagine in our country, because, you know, this group's Muslim, this group's Muslim, but they believe a little bit different than you believe. So we kill them, they kill you. What if that happened in our United States, okay? Let's go take out all the Baptists. And when we're do, through with them, let's go get all the uh, Presbyterians. That's the, the logic behind this. It's crazy. Now, I don't know how true it is, but I'm going to tell you this story real quick. Uh, we have two mosques here in town. Small, but they're here. And mostly they generate uh, for the university group. But we have two. For the longest time, I don't know if you remember, we, we had one. And then I says, man, we have that, that many Muslims here that we need two? The storyline goes like this, that this group didn't agree with this group on how they were to kill the chickens and to eat the chickens. I'm telling you what I was told to me. What are you saying? You mean one goes to Pioneer Chicken, the other one goes to the Colonels? Is that what you're saying? I, you know, we laugh, but this is the ludicrousy. Oh, you don't do this, and we do this. And, and so they split. It's nothing new. Christians do it all the time. 
Well, we're not going to go to this church because you don't teach King James only. We're not going to go to this church because you don't have communion every Sunday. I mean, I've heard it all and you've heard it all. And so, Doag here does the, uh, the abomination of desolation in the Old Testament. It kills the priesthood. This is crazy. 85 of them. Uh, look at verse 19. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Not only did the priesthood pay, but the city had to pay with their lives. This is how far this man has gone. Look at verse 20. Now, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, his name was Abiathar, escaped and he fled after David. And I mentioned this many times before. God always has a remnant of his people. I don't, I don't, I don't see this. Be careful when you say, oh, this guy was lucky. No, divine appointment. This guy was spared. For the reason he still had to go to David. And David, listen to this. He needs a priest. And so again, I see God's hand on it. And some of you might be thinking, well, why didn't God stop Saul? Remember, the people of Israel, this is what they wanted. They went to Samuel and they said, give us a king like all the other nations. Samuel warned them. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And he has. Now he's killing your priesthood. But God always has a remnant of people. And so here's this other priest, Abiathar. And Abiathar, verse 21, told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. This this had to have, uh, you know, put a a knife in David's heart. Because he's going to be blaming himself. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day. When Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. David blames himself, but it was not David, but it was Saul who had a prideful and an evil spirit. Can't you see that that was Satan's domain? He'll manipulate He'll move, he'll dangle the proverbial carrot until he has you. And in my opinion, Saul has gone completely over. The kingdom's already been taken from him. It's been handed over to David, but it's just a matter of time. Israel was going to get what they deserved, and that was this king, King Saul. Notice verse 23, stay with me, do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life also. But with me you shall be saved. David, in the midst of his own trials, his heart's broken. I I did this to the priest. No, you didn't. The priest just told you. And so David relinquishes uh, his own thoughts and says, okay, stay with me. Don't go back because they're going to kill you you, if you depart from me. I I want you to see A man of God, King Saul was called, was anointed, and he has a free will to choose, just like anybody else. He chose evil over good. 
He chose unrighteousness over righteousness. He chose the devil over God. And he's blaming it all on David. And then David was about ready to blame himself. And Abiathar says, you're not the problem. You're not the problem, but Saul is. Now we come into chapter 23. David is still doing the work of the Lord. He goes to this place called Keilah. In verse 1, then they told David, saying, Look, uh, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And they are robbing the threshing floor. Keilah was the, the, the name meant fortress. It was a city in the lowlands of Judah. But it was in trouble. It was in trouble. And I like this because David's heart was the heart of a warrior. Remember, he was not allowed uh, to build the temple of God. It was given over to Solomon. And so David still sees his people. And he goes and does the right thing. David goes to help. Therefore, in verse 2, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up and attack these Philistines? Mark that down, please. And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. David had 400 men. He had one sword. And, And he's got one priest. But David is motivated by the power of God. But I told you to mark it down. David goes to prayer. And he's got the priests with him. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? I think sometimes, and I'm very much including myself through the years, I step out to do something, and I thought I inquired of the Lord. Or sometimes I go, well, it's obvious. We have to do this. Did we inquire of the Lord? Did we seek his face? Did we seek his permission? Let me share this with you. I've done many marriage ceremonies here. And we don't just marry you like that. We have counseling. We have books. We have study. We have homework. And we go through it over and over again. And boy, everybody answers it correctly. Everybody fills out all the paperwork. Everybody says, oh, yes. And then six months later, not everybody, but six months later, Pastor Bob, we're not getting along. Wait a minute. Show me where it says in Scripture you're not getting along. None of us get along with our spouses. It takes a lifetime to them to understand you and vice versa. Did we inquire of the Lord? You made a covenant with God in marriage. You made a covenant with God in your salvation. You made a covenant with God and you toss it out the door. That's what Saul has done. Think about it now. But David, and this is what I appreciate. That's why the Bible says, and David made a lot of mistakes. I'm not taking away from that. Committed adultery, committed murder. But the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Again, I'm going to mention it. I've shared it many times over. If you've never studied Psalm 51, it's a psalm of repentance. It's when David had been busted by Nathan the prophet. And finally, David recognized his sin, had Uriah killed. That baby that was born died. 
And David knew his place. In Psalm 51, I tell you, it's a psalm of crying out uh, to the Lord. And David did that. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up? In verse 3, but David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keliah uh, against the armies of the Philistines? The Philistines were ruthless. The Philistines were evil. Um, they've gotten over uh, Goliath dying. And now they would love more than anything in the world to see uh, David killed. But if you pray and you, got, you have God's go-ahead, I always want you to remember this. Because the enemy is going to be there. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? And trust me, I have leaned on that scripture many, many times. If God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, I don't see this. I've got 400 guys there. They're a motley crew. They're misfits. Uh, they're in distress. They're broke. They owe everybody. I have one sword, Lord. David inquires of the Lord. His men are not understanding this at all. But look at verse 4 now. He repeats it. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kelilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. I want you to remember Gideon. When Gideon was called, he wasn't sure. Gideon went to the Lord three times. Gideon went to the Lord three times. Before Mary and I moved here, I went to the Lord three times because of Gideon. I said, Lord, you spoke to Gideon three times. You need to speak to me. And he does. When you're sincere with God, he will be sincere with you. David prays again. There's nothing wrong. There are some that will say, hey, listen, you've got to pray. Ask God once. You don't have to ask him again. I, I believe you keep asking. And if the answer doesn't come, don't move forward. Don't move forward. Don't, you know, pray. Lord, do you want me to go to, you know, such and such a city? And Lord, I, Lord, I feel you want me to go there. And then you go. And then you die there. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. And then you, you cry. Lord, why did you send me here? I didn't. I had never answered your prayer. It was a no. It was a wait. It was a maybe. Don't move unless God tells you to go. Don't do it unless God tells you. Now, some things are obvious. Obviously, it's there. But let God speak to you in clarity. Um, <laughs> I wish I could tell you how many good friends and and. Christians that I know that said, you know, God, I, I thought God told me, and I'm just going to use, a, uh, you know, one of the country. I, I thought God told me to go to China. Did God tell you to go to China? Well, I thought he did. How did God tell you? Well, I had Chinese food that night. <laughs> I, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Those of you that were here, when uh, Sean Fraser came, I shouldn't say his name, um, He's been in the missionary for China for 15 years. And I tell you what, 
he is the most unlikely candidate that would go to China. Most unlikely. He'll be the first one to tell you. And I mean, he's a tall white boy and all these little Orientals and then all of a sudden here's... But he has them there 15 years. God had called that man. David inquired of the Lord twice. In verse 5, And David and his men went to Kalilah, and they fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. And so David saved uh, the inhabitants of Kalilah. God went before them. God went before them. Right now, everybody's concerned of what's going on in Syria. Right now, everybody's concerned of what's going on with Russia. And those that are prophecy students, those that are students of the Word of God, we know according to Ezekiel chapter 38, they're going to come in. The northern bear will come in. Israel is receiving threats left and right and missiles even now. But we know that God will intervene. We know that God will intervene. Why? As we studied in Zechariah, remember, Israel is the apple of God's eye. The Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. And Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. And remember what we shared? That, that little phrase that everybody likes to do, don't mess with Texas, don't mess with God's property. Let God judge Israel. Let God judge the Jews. Let God judge Jerusalem. It's not for us to judge. And so God's domain. He went before David. <laughs> In verse 6, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled uh, to David and Kilei. Uh, I practice this all afternoon. Kiila. Why don't they have good Hispanic names? But here's something important. I shouldn't say jokes right now. It happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David when he went down with an ephod in his hand. The ephod was the instrument that the priest wore. Remember the ephod? Uh, when we were doing uh, the studies in Leviticus and, and uh, the book of Exodus and such, the ephod, if you can see the picture, it's like a little poncho has a hole in the middle, and it covers the back, and it covers the front. Multiple colors. There's a breastplate in front, and 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, there's latchets that hold it together right here on each shoulder. And behind the breastplate, uh, there was a small pouch. And the Urim and the Thummim, two stones would be in there. It was a dark stone. And a, and a light stone or a white stone. And when the priest was asked a, a question, it would be a yes or a no answer. He would manipulate the stones and then bring them out, believing that this is what God wanted. And so the ephod was very important, and Abiathar had took one with him. Look at verse 7. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kelilah, uh, so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, uh, he has shut himself in entering a town that has no gates and no bars. Kalila was a walled city. Saul is convinced God has gone before him. But it was David that God went before. David inquired of the Lord twice. 
and he had his 400 men, and he had his priest, and he had the sword. Uh, look at verse 8. Then Saul called all the people uh, together for war. This is in Israel, in Jerusalem. And to go down to Kelilah uh, to besiege David and his men. Saul just wants to kill him. His rage, his anger, his pride is relentless. I want David killed. In verse 9, and he thinks he has him trapped. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. I like that. God, God was hearing David's prayers. David knew where to go. David knew to go to prayer. Church, I need to remind you, never neglect prayer. And I believe our church is a praying church. I believe we have women in this church that pray. I believe we have men in this church that pray. And I believe that they're anointed to pray. And this is why we ask people to come up that have a, a, you know, a, a disease, an infirmity, a cancer, and we lay hands on them. And we anoint them with oil. And we pray the prayer of faith. And we don't demand from God. We ask, what is your will? And so bring the ephod here. Remember, this is Old Testament. In verse 10, then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to uh, Kelilah to destroy the city for my sake. David is praying. The priest would have the ephod on, ephod on. Lord, give me an answer. In verse 11, will the men of Kelilah deliver me into the hand? His hand, that is. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Or, O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Was this a yes or a no? I don't know. But he's got the ephod on. Did God speak directly? I don't know. Did the priest say something? I don't know. Or did Saul hear the voice in his heart? Did he hear from God in his ear? And I know some of you uh, have come to that place where you sense God speaking. You sense God ministering. Is it an audible, audible voice? No. Uh, he'll speak right through the Word of God. Sometimes he'll speak to somebody else. They'll come up. They'll share something with you. Sometimes it's, you, you're spoken to through the, through the message. Here at the chapel or at the, on the radio or on a television program. Even though the, the teacher, you're not in agreement with him, but there was something there that came to you. Did God use that? Many times I can see that. Notice now. Then David said, will the men of Kelilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? Verse 12. And the Lord said, they will deliver you. They will deliver you. Is this where the ephod came in? Is this where Abiathar is seeking the Lord for David? I believe so. Was it through the Urim and the Thummim? Was it through the two stones? Was it a yes? Was it a No. But it says here, he will come down. So David knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, and church, I've been there. Where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is speaking. Not my flesh. Uh, not my, my family. 
not somebody at the church. And I respect when my wife tells me something. I respect when one of my pastor friends tell me something. I respect when somebody, uh, you know, tells me something from the ministry here. But God knows where I live. God knows where you live. And I have to be very careful because I don't want to tell people what to do. Because I'm the pastor of the church. And I said, Jared, China, buddy. Oh, Pastor Bob said. No, go get your wife Chinese food. That's what I'm telling you. I think you understand what I'm trying to say here. And and I think sometimes we can get uh, overwhelmed. David is listening to the voice of God. And I'm going to tell you why he's listening. uh, Because David is at the end. He has nowhere to go. David has 400 men. Are you sure you anointed me, Lord? And so David, there's fear that's setting in. But he's still trusting God. Abiathar, come and bring the ephod with you. Notice verse 13. So David and his men, now they increase. 200 more are following him. About 600 arose and departed from Kelilah. And they went uh, wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kelilah. And so he halted the expedition. David went to the wilderness, the strongholds. David went to the mountainous area. Remember, it's still desert. David went to the caves. But I like that 200 more men are added to David. In verse 14, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness, and he remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Zeph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. You know, shouldn't Saul at this point be thinking, you trapped him for me, Lord. I have him there. It's a walled city. It's a barred city. There's nowhere to, for him to go. But David got out. His men got out. Shouldn't Saul have seen that? I guess God is sparing his life. I need to stop this. But he doesn't. The rage increases. And isn't that true? Husbands, don't raise your hand. But you and your wife had a little spat before you, you went to sleep. Or sometime in the afternoon, and here it's time to sleep now, and you still haven't spoken to each other. You're going to get a miserable sleep unless you say, I'm sorry. Honey, forgive me. I was wrong. No, but she was wrong. No, uh, uh, uh. Okay, then go to bed mad. You'll be dreaming of tacos coming after you and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I speak from experience, church. And David stayed the strongholds in the wilderness of Zeph. Now Saul sought him every day. Zeph is in the Negev. It's called the dry land. It's about 25 miles or so from the Dead Sea. Negev means the dry place. This is the area uh, we visit when we go. Masada sits up on the top. Uh, and that was a fortress that was built by, by Herod. The Dead Sea is not far from there. It's, it's miserable there. And I liked that back in uh, the 67 war, after it was over, uh, two of the soldiers, that God spoke to them. And they went to the Negev, and they planted a vineyard. It's flourishing still today, how God does these things. But it's interesting that David's running constantly, but God is sustaining him. Look at verse 15. So David saw that Saul 
had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Zeph in a forest area now. Or the wooded area. Imagine the desert area. And yet there's the forest area also. Or the wooded area. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Here we are. You look uh, to the east here. We have the, the Oregon Mountains. And uh, you got the trees up there and such. It's only about 12, 15 miles from us. But if you go to Alamogordo, and that's a desert, but not far from there, Riodoso, and you've got the forest there. And so it's nothing new. It can happen. Look at verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. I'm amazed that Saul hasn't done anything to Jonathan because he can't. God will not allow it. But he should have been pretty upset with him. And rightfully so. You're taking David's hand over mine? You're giving David loyalty over me? And so look at Jonathan. He knows that his dad wants to kill him. And he knows David well enough. By this time, David's frustrated. By this time, David's is hurting, by this time David is scared. I'll go to him. I'll go to him. I know some of you, when you see somebody else in the fellowship and they're hurting, you go reach out to them. And that's good. The worst thing in the world is to go up to them and say, you know why you're like this right now? Because this and this and this. Where's the love? Where's the compassion? Where's the grace? Remember that Jesus went out of his way to Samaria to minister to a harlot, the Samaritan woman. She was on her fifth husband or her fifth man. That one wasn't, he wasn't, she wasn't married to him. Didn't Jesus reach out to the woman caught in the very act of adultery? Didn't Jesus reach out to Mary Magdalene? A woman with seven demons, and he cast them out. Have compassion uh, on your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Just because they made a mistake, just because uh, uh, they're in trouble, uh, we should help them. We should not bury them. Notice that uh, verse 16, Jonathan goes out, verse 17, and he said to him, Dave, uh, he's talking to David, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. What a message of hope there. David's wondering. The Spirit of the Lord has spoken to him. Uh, to Jonathan. Go encourage uh, David. David uh, was in turmoil. You shall be the king over Israel. Do not fear. I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. That's radical. Imagine that Saul knew, but did not want to let go. He will continue to pursue David. That's the enemy. The enemy don't give up. We think because we pray, and because we get anointed with oil, because I come to church, I read some scripture, and the enemy's not going to frustrate you. He lost a customer. He wants you back. He'll do everything in his power uh, to get you back. Notice verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant. I like that. 
and before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. Prayer time. Fellowship time. Koinonia time. I wouldn't doubt they made an offering unto the Lord. I wouldn't doubt that that covenant was, uh, you know, God sent. And that's not the first covenant that they made together. I like Jonathan. In verse 19, then the Zephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Helkal? Helkal, anyway, the H word there, which is on the south of Jezmon. The devil has spies. The devil has spies. Not just the demons. The devil has people that work for him. And so they're finding David out. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Listen, these were the enemies of Israel. But they feared David. They feared David more than they feared Saul. The reason the Zephites betrayed uh, was either their zeal for Saul, or listen to this, or the fact that David levied protection money against them as he did against Nabal. And we're going to read that in chapter 25. Very strong possibility. And so think about it. Let's get rid of David. Let's help get rid of David. And so the possibilities are there. Verse 21, and Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord. This is Saul. He's not serving the Lord. But listen to the terminology. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. You lying rat. You've been trying to kill David. You're not following the Lord. You're not listening to the Lord. God does not bless treachery or evil. Saul, when needful, would become very spiritual. I believe that we're all capable of that. I believe that we're all capable of becoming spiritual, and I'm including myself. We're not perfect. We're forgiven. And the grace of God covers a multitude of sin. But be careful. Look at verse 22. Uh, He goes on now. Please go and find out for me and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. Look at how he's manipulating David. Who's the crafty one? It's Saul. Saul does not give up. He knows, yet he continues to pursue. When a man or a woman is in sin, Sometimes they're blinded themselves and they don't see it. And they're convinced everybody else is the problem but self. There has to be self-examination. Notice verse 23. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty. He says, and I will go with you and it shall be If he is in the land, then I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. Saul's the crafty one. He sends out these little spies and just let me know where he's at and, you know, I'll protect you. He wants David. 
In verse 24, so they arose and they went uh, to Zeph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of, of Maon, in the plains in the south of Jesmon. The Lord is protecting David. The Lord has his hand on David. I've shared this scripture before. It's a scripture that we need to have in our hearts when the enemy attacks you. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. And if it's your time to go home, then God's going to take you home. This is happening in the Middle East. But the enemy comes. He's relentless. He comes in so many different ways. One of the most hurtful things I see in ministry is when a sister comes against another sister or a brother comes against another brother. I've seen it. Where's the compassion? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Well, while Jesus had uh, anger when he turned over the money changers, number one, you're not dealing with the money changers. Number two, well, let's go to number one. Number one, you're not Jesus. And number two, you're not dealing with the money changers. It's our flesh. Love, remember this, love wins over a multitude of sin. No weapon formed against me, formed against you shall ever prosper. Verse 25, when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore, he went down to the rock and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And so God or the people through God, warn David. Either way, God will use others. God can do a miracle, a sign, and a wonder. God can tell you, turn left. God can tell you to turn right. God can tell you, as he did with Abiathar, God said, don't go. Or God said, go. Or God said, they're coming after you. I mean, church, you have to be, uh, you have to be spiritually in, in tune here. Notice verse 26. And then Saul went on, on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste uh, to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. God gives David wisdom now. Again, Saul is relentless. He's not giving up. In verse 27, but a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. What is Saul going to do now? What a miserable king if he doesn't go take care of his people. He had no choice. That was God ordained. And so uh, David gets to flee again. In verse 28, therefore, uh, Saul returned from pursuing David, and he went against the Philistines, so they called the place the Rock of Escape, where David was. They named it the Rock of Escape. Some of the commentaries said it is still called the Rock of Escape, uh, but in the Hebrew language today. And so the conclusion, and those of you that have gone to Israel, you know exactly this place. And then David went up from there, and he dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. En Gedi is such a beautiful place. Again, when we come down from Masada, and then the Dead Sea is right there, and the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason, and then they take us to En Gedi after, and in, in, in this whole portion of desert, here's this little oasis. 
we park the buses and we get off and, and we go up an incline. It's not far, a couple of blocks in. And you see why David stayed there. There's animal life there. There's a beautiful waterfall that still operates. A lot of the people go down if they have the time and they jump into the fall. And you go, David was here. David was here. And God sustained him. Uh, there's beautiful palm trees and such. And it's, 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 it's comical because you're seeing this beauty and then you turn around and you see desert. And you see desert. And even when you're up in Masada, it's beautiful and it's cool up there. That's why Herod built that. And yet the Romans eventually get there. But you see, they had water there. They had everything. And so God sustains David. Why? He's not finished with David. And Saul continues to do evil. I'm amazed that when you see people doing wrong, when you see people doing evil, I cry out, Lord, look, get them. Wipe them out, Lord. David prayed, Lord, break their cheekbones. Why does God allow it? Why does God sometimes, and Saul's not finished. He's going to continue. And I'm sure that was one of the frustrations of David. Lord, take him out. And then David had opportunities to do that, but he would not touch his king. That's God's domain. Again, we're not to touch Israel. It's God's domain. We're not to touch the Jews. That's God's domain. We're not to judge or to try to come against Jerusalem. God's domain. So let's stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer. Um, Monica, I want you to come up. We're going to pray for you. I want the ladies to come up. I want you to anoint her with oil. And then after we're through with Monica, uh, I want to pray for Bill. He's going to be heading out to Houston. And so I want the guys to come up after and, and to pray for Bill. Go ahead and anoint her, please. And Monica's been in and out of the ER, in and out of the hospital. Uh, she's been having some bleeding, and uh, God needs to heal her. And he has sustained her. The doctor said everything's fine, the baby's fine. But we want to pray the prayer of faith. Father, as the ladies lay hands upon Monica, as the ladies have anointed uh, Monica, Lord, we're believing by faith that this child in her womb, you know this child. You gave her this child. And so, Father, we ask you to sustain this child. We ask you to subside the bleeding or stop the bleeding. I'm reminded of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And you healed her, Lord. She went through every doctor, every physician, every miracle cure. But it was you that touched her. The power of, of your grace. And so, Father, we pray for your healing touch and your hand of grace upon Monica. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen.